God, we are here today. And there are many of us who are in need. Come before you. We need, we need hope. And so today we ask, not that we have good church. We ask we have an encounter with you. I ask you would speak to us today. We say, yes, Lord, speak to me. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Now, we are in week two of a James series, or the book of James. And if you missed last week, I would highly encourage you to go on the Orchard app or to go to iTunes and listen to uh, last week's sermon. And we'll give us context for who um, we're looking at, this guy named James, as we move forward, who is the younger brother of Jesus, which is very unique. And he has a unique voice in this book. Now, Jesus came. Jesus was fully God, fully man. He came, he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, he was resurrected, and through him we have access to the Father. And James takes that and says, he builds on this, and he says some stuff like this. He would say, it's great you say you believe in Jesus, but there should be some authentic life change in your, in your heart. It's great that you say you believe, but believing in Jesus should come with some transformation in our character. And he challenges us. He's a challenging author. And we're going to see today as we start out that he takes us right into the deep end. This is, this is right after his greeting. So he doesn't have any small talk, nothing little. He jumps right in. And we're going to look at two verses today. So let's go ahead and read these verses that we're going to look at. James 1, verse 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, that verse is full of dynamite, and it's highly challenging, but, but if you look at it just on the surface, it's a little ridiculous. Joy in the trial. Like, what kind of masochist is James? Joy in suffering? Joy in the storms that life brings us? You see, if we, don't, if we don't truly get to what James is talking about here, this can come across as one of those television positive thinking stuff that tells us that all you need is good thoughts and a smile to really stand up to life. There's a lot more than that. And there's a lot more James is saying here. But how is it? Because then when we remove that, then we have to ask, how is it James can have the gall to tell us to have joy in the trial? Because if we're honest, in a room this size, I don't know what trials you're going through, but I'm sure in a room this size, there are trials of addictions and vice. How do we count that as joy? There's a mom and a dad with, with children who are walking a dangerous path away from God. And how do you tell that mom and dad to consider this joy? There's those who are up late struggling to sleep because of stress and worry. Husband and wife who've not yet gotten, gotten pregnant and can't hold what they desire most. Joy? When you get a terrifying diagnosis, joy says, James says to have joy. You who are watching a loved one go through pain and loss, to those who've buried a loved one and the absence still hurts, how can we have joy? To those crushed by the loss of relationship, joy? See, life brings us many hardships. Life brings us trial. How can we have joy through those times? And my hope is that as we look at this today, we see some of why James would tell us to consider it pure joy when you go through a trial. And my hope by the end of today is that you begin to see trials differently than right now. That you would see that a trial is not just a trial, but instead it is an opportunity for life change. A trial is an opportunity for life change that luxury and comfort will never give you. 
And with that, today we're going to walk through these two verses pretty slowly. I'm going to chop it up and see what, what James is getting at here. He starts off with these two words, consider it. And this is important. It means count it. This tells us that we have the opportunity to choose how we look at our trials. You get to consider it. You don't naturally consider a, a trial joy, do you? It's not your natural reaction, but you get a choice to consider it. You have the choice how you will consider these trials. Consider it pure joy. Now, joy, we know what joy is. It's something amazing. When something amazing happens, it's something amazing within us. And this is a joy that's true and deep and sustaining. But this is a joy that's from within, not from without. And this is the first big point that James is making here. He didn't say, be happy in the trial. He didn't tell us that. Because happiness comes from what is going on outside of you. It's, it, how hard is it to be happy when a storm, a trial, is around your life? Happiness is the result of external circumstances going the way that I want. But joy is a divine substance that comes from within despite my circumstances. See, I can have joy when everything is wrong around me. But it's hard to muster up happiness in those moments. James makes a weighty point. When you go through tri trial, consciously choose to consider it joy. Internally, shift your mind and your heart towards the joy of God. How difficult is that? How hard is it to do that? Because if we're honest, trials happen. Storms happen. If you're not in one now, you will be. It happens in life. Consider it pure joy whenever you face. This word face means to get caught up into or fall into. In the story of Good Samaritan, Jesus uses this word when he says the man fell into the hands of thieves. You see, when you're caught up in a trial or you fall into hardship based on your decisions, based on others' decisions, or based just on circumstances, when you fall into those, when you are caught up into trial, you get the choice to consider it. It's pure joy. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, all kinds, all types, all variety. And then this word trial here, we get trials, right? When we get trial, we've been through trial. Disappointment, deaths, diseases, hardship, suffering, loss. Trials are when life goes through the storm. And we've been through these. In fact, do you remember the time when you used to fall asleep at night and you would just think about whatever you wanted? Or in, in, when you had like a moment to yourself or driving, um, you got to just daydream. But then when you go through the trial, when you're in it, you're up late and those, that, that weighs upon you. You're thinking about it when you're in the car, you're staring at the windshield and five miles goes by and you don't even know you were driving because you're just wondering about the ramifications and what ifs and speculations and, and what could go wrong and what is going wrong. Like we get trial, it can move in and take up the margins of our life. We get this. The Bible is full of talk about trial. Peter speaks about it a lot and he says this in 1 Peter 4.12. He says this, listen dear friends, don't be surprised at the fire, fiery ordeal, the trial that has come to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. You know, there, there's a bumper sticker that says something like stuff happens. Peter invents it here. He says trial happens. Don't be, don't be like surprised. Life's going to bring you these things. So James has told us to choose joy when life gets hard. But he's about to go on and tell us why. He says this, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith, 
You see, in the trial, your faith is tested. And the word here for testing also means proving. Your, your faith isn't just tested, your faith is proven. Oftentimes when we go through a trial, we have some faith. And as we go through it, it is proven to be worthy. It's proven to be in us. And it's strengthened as we move through it. And we come out on the other side with a proven faith. It has tested us and it is proven. Solomon the Wise speaks of this in Proverbs 17.3. He says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. You see, what the crucible does for silver and what the furnace does for gold, so life does for our faith and God does for our heart. Now, what does a crucible do? It's just, you may have heard this before, but when a, a, when a refiner is refining silver, he gets the raw ore, you know, and he puts it in the, into the crucible where it's just heated, and it heats so much it turns into liquid. And the pure silver is the heaviest. It goes to the bottom, and on top is these layers of dross or impurities. And so the refiner would then take his tool, and he would reach it and skim it off. He would keep taking it and refining and skimming over and over. He would skim off the impurities at the surface of this silver. And it says that he knows when it's done. He knows when it's pure, when he can look into it, and he sees the reflection of his face. And so it is with our lives. The trials of our life are a crucible for our character, a furnace for our faith. And when you go through hardship, impurities that are a part of your life, the attitudes that are a part of your life that are just floating around in there, they come right to the surface because trials have a way of bringing out the worst in us and bringing those things to the surface. And through this process, as the heat of the trial rises and as we allow God more and more access, he removes, he reaches in and he removes the impurities, the vices, the character imperfections, the lack of faith, the attitudes, the ways of thinking, the sins. In trial, when we surrender to the great refiner, he purifies our character and faith. And then when he looks into your heart, he sees his reflection. And we here at the orchard say we are about loving God and loving people. And when we go out and love people, is there anything more we want them to see than the reflection of our Father's nature? That's what we want them to see. Through the crucible, through the trial of refining, people see God's nature more clearly in us. It's not a fun process. But that is the whole goal in life, is it not? To look more like Christ. And here James tell us, tells us why it's being tested, why we're being purified. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many time, kinds because you know the testing of your faith, of your faith. That's what's being proven here. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for. Say that with me. Faith is confidence in what we, in what we, faith is confidence in what you hope for. More, the more hope you have, the more faith you have. Hope and faith have this great relationship. Now, what do we hope for? What are we hoping for? We hope that the trial won't have the last word in our life. We hope that God will bring us out on the other side. We hope that God will make all things new someday, that he will wipe every tear and gather all his children and right all wrongs. We hope for the healing of diseases and the reconciliation of marriages. We hope for our character to hold fast. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. And the more hope you have, the more faith you exercise. Faith, well, that's, that's invaluable. That's a virtue of heaven. In fact, it says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's our faith tested 
and proven through trial and purified that brings God so much glory and so much joy. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, perseverance, this is the ability to sustain even when life is hard. In the self-house, we say, this is grit when you want to quit. We teach our kids that. In fact, we were on a hike up the Lorax Trail this summer, and our little three-year-old Selah was between Amy and I, and, and we were talking to him about grit, you know, having these life lessons and taking them on walks to prove it. And I hear this chatter behind me the whole, whole last leg of the walk, and I look back, and my, my little three-year-old just, is, is just chattering. And my wife is smiling, and I, I kind of go back and listen, and she's just marching, saying, I have grit, I have grit, I have grit, I have grit. And she finished the hike having grit. <laughs> Grit is to keep going when you want to quit. Perseverance is what sustains you when life gets hard. And the other word used here for, for perseverance is endurance. You'll see that often in translations. And endurance is a, is, a, is a good word. I talked to Eric Bullock. He's our resident expert on all things body function. And he said, if you want to improve your endurance, you have to go beyond your comfort zone. And so I asked him, what happens if you never push your muscles beyond their comfort zone? And he said, your body will never have to adapt and your muscles will not grow. See, it's only when you're taken beyond your comfort zone that you grow. And it's only when your faith is taken beyond its comfort zone that it, it's strengthened. A faith that does not stretch itself atrophies. Faith was meant for spiritual battle, not a couch, not a pew, it was made as a weapon. It was made to defend. Endurance grows by stretching yourself beyond where you have been before. And faith grows by stretching yourself beyond where you have faithed before. And I want to ask you a question. When was the last time that you trusted God beyond your comfort zone? When was the last time your faith wasn't safe? When was the last time you realized you were faithing beyond where you have previously? Where you walked out past your best laid plans and had faith in God? You know, some have faith that God will bless their food and that's it. Because that's all they ask him for. Some have faith that keeps them smiling in their comfortable life. Everything's fine. But when a trial or a storm comes, that diagnosis or that loss or that storm, the nice, safe faith of the shire just isn't enough to sustain us in the storm. And that safe faith in those moments gets stretched because we know we need God for more than just blessing our food. We need God as an anchor to hold our life. Faith that is not exercised beyond the comfort zone will not grow. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance must finish its work. This is vital. You know why it's vital? Because when we're in a trial, what's the one thing we want more than anything? Get me out of it. Get me out of this, God. Take it away. We pray for God to make the trial stop when, and honestly, that would short-circuit the whole thing. And the only thing worse than going through a trial is going most of the way through a trial with nothing to show for it at the end. Perseverance must finish its work. 
Right now, there are those of you who are in significant trials and you have been praying, God, get me out. And maybe today for the first time, you pray, God, give me the perseverance to finish this work in me. Strengthen me in this storm. Why is it important? Why is the testing of our faith and perseverance, why is finishing its work, why is this important? James goes on. He say, it's, it's almost a formula. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature. And I think this word is the theme of the book of James. He calls us to maturity. He calls us to grow up. But the wonder here isn't that James just calls us to maturity. It's that maturity seems to come on the other side of trials and storms. In the storm, your faith is tested. The testing of your faith leads to perseverance. And perseverance leads to maturity of faith and heart. But it continues. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, when we persevere through the testing of our faith, our spirit, our character, our lives are more complete. You see, many of us, we know in life that something is missing. There's a deficiency somewhere within our heart and spirit. To be human is to feel that something is missing in life. It's because our, our heart, our spirit was made to be completed by our creator. Below all the, all the vices, all the addictions, all the facades, all the accomplishments is a place that only God can fill. And James says that we, we, this wholeness is on the other side of our faith growing in an intimate relationship with God, a growing intimate faith and relationship with him. Instead, since that is no fun, we go out on our own and try to do it, don't we? And there are people who cannot be single because they try to find their completeness in someone, missing the fact that that someone is their God. Others take their deficiency to materialism, hoping that something in this world, something is going to make that go away. Others, we have accomplishments and reputation, whatever it might be. As humans, we have, have an unlimited, we have unlimited things we've found to try to fill that. We take this deficiency anywhere we can. But James tells us, once again, that through an intimate, growing relationship with the creator and sustainer, are we completed. Because in the trial you find a side of God that you don't know. In the storms of life, you find a God that you don't meet in the sunshine. You know, I love my son Elijah, but if he only knows me when he wins the game, or when the grades are good, or when he's well-behaved, or when we're all happy, if he only knows me when things go well with him and things are comfortable for him, you know what? He won't really know his daddy's love. And he won't fully know his dad. But when things go wrong for Elijah, when he struggles, when he's broken, when he's beaten down, and when I, when I hug him and hold him and love him, even when he's lost, he knows a new side of me. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. If you only have a faith in God where it's comfortable, when you're fine, when it's, when it's sunny, you won't fully know him. You see, because there's a side of God that I met 
when I was defeated and broken and betrayed in life, when all my dreams were lost and I found God there in a way I did not know him before. And he became an anchor for my soul and an anchor for my spirit in the storm. But how do we find joy in this? That's the original question. How do we find joy in the trial? I believe we can experience joy in the trial when we have the perspective of heaven and see that there's a grander purpose that is afoot. And when it comes to perspective, that comes from what you choose to keep your eyes on, the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your mind. Your eye. Perspective comes from what you choose to look at. And so one of the keys to this verse may simply be, where do you look when the storm hits? Where do you look when you're in a trial? Because if your gaze focuses on the hardship and the diagnosis and the vice or the son or the daughter or the lack and the pain, there will be no joy. Only loss and anxiety. But if in the storm, you can steady your gaze on the sustainer of life, the Savior, it changes things. I know this from personal experience. You see, when our hearts focus on God, it gives our lives a buoyancy that keeps us from sinking in the storm. And that buoyancy is joy. I mean, you know people who've gone through hardship and yet they have that joy in them? You've seen these people, right? We know them. Maybe you have gone through this yourself. That the joy of God keeps you buoyant when the storm is trying to sink you. There are people who go through hell yet cling to heaven. It makes all the difference for them. And for you, you have an opportunity in the storm. If you're in a trial right now, what are you focusing on? The overwhelming pain and suffering and loss and the fear or the one who is with you in all things? You see, what you look at in the storm changes everything. Matthew 14, Jesus is teaching the crowds. He's been teaching all day. He's there with his disciples and he sends his disciples. He says, I want you to go back across the sea without me. I want to spend some time alone. And so these, these young men, these boys, they get back in this little fisherman's dinghy and they start going out across the sea. And it's not long before they find themselves out there in the middle in a storm. Now these fishermen and these dinghies, they were meant for water, but for coastal fishing, not for the middle of the sea. Now the wind is howling and the, and the waves are crashing. And in this little ship, in this little boat, there is no below deck. No, no, they're just sitting there being plastered by it, hair matted to their wet faces. They're frightened. Because you see, in their culture, they believe that the bottom of this very sea was the underworld. <laughs> so you can imagine being out there in the middle of the night, they have the underworld below them, the worst possible scenario. They have the wind and the waves around them, and above them they have the dark, stormy skies of the night. And it's in that moment, as they're out there exposed, they see something on the water. And one of them can't believe his eyes, so he asks his friend, he says, Do you see that? And when they all agree that they see it, it says they cry out in terror and one yells, it's a ghost! <laughs> They're freaking out. They have the underworld below them, winds around them, the pre-dawn blackness above them, and a ghost walking toward them. And the rabbi's nowhere to be seen. He told them to go ahead. The, 
The figure says, it's me, it is I, the Lord. Don't be afraid. And Peter, whose heart always worked better than his head, said this, if it's you, tell me to come out there. His rabbi spoke to him and said, come. Peter locks eyes with the figure, with his rabbi. In trembling hands from the cold and the fear, he, he grabs the side of the boat and he steps out and then he steps out with the other one. And miracle of miracles, Peter is standing on the waves and he is locked in with his Savior, with his rabbi. And he sees on his rabbi's face a smile split his face as he sees Peter on the water. And Peter erupts in joy as he, I can't believe what's happening. He can't believe he's standing here looking at Jesus, both just grinning in the middle of the storm, standing on water as he takes some steps. And, and then at some point, the spray hits him and it distracts him and he, he looks around and he sees the waves. He sees what he's doing. He looks behind him at the guys with their open jaws. He, he looks at the up, it's black, it's windy. The underworld, the worst possible scenarios waiting for him. He takes his eyes off Jesus. And in the storm, he sees everything that could go wrong and everything that is wrong. And he begins to sink down into it. And he cries, save me. And his Lord immediately grabs him and pulls the, the wet disciple into the boat. Orchard, you're going to go through some trials in 2019 that we don't know about. You are in a trial right now, perhaps, in your life that the people around you have no idea what's going on within you. But as long as we choose to make the storm the focus of our heart, we're going to sink into it. It's terrifying. But if we can keep our eyes locked upon our Savior, we can have joy even when the storm rips around us. In fact, for those of you in a trial today who are in a storm of your life right now, it's raging. Have you looked for Jesus in it? Really? Have you looked up from the diagnosis to find Jesus? Have you, have you looked up from the broken relationship or the financial struggle? Have you looked up from your vices and losses? Have you found him have you looked for him and found him? Because that is where you place your trust. And as you go through the trial, and as you walk through the storm, it tests you. It tests your faith. And yet with your rabbi, with your savior there, you can endure. It says this in Psalm 46, one through three, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall in the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and the mountains quake and they're surging. He will sustain you if the world falls apart. If you're in a storm, don't look at the wind and waves. Don't look at the worst possible scenario. Find your Savior in it and consider it pure joy. Because you know that through that trial, your faith is being proven and grown. And as, as it perseveres, you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That he has a grand purpose in the trial. 
And this is why we know that a trial is not just a disaster. A trial is an opportunity. Your trial is not your end. Your trial is a new beginning for what God's building into you for what's next. You're not going to be defeated in this trial because it's designed to build into you for what he has for you. You know, the circumstances you're in right now that you think are breaking you are the very circumstances God is using to build you. Because you won't be ready for the calling that's coming tomorrow if your faith is not proven in the crucible of today. Your storm isn't here to stop you. Your storm is here to strengthen something in you. Your trial is not a curse, it's a crucible. And the future calling that he has for you needs the muscle that you're gaining in the midst of it. Orchard, it's time we stop just praying to get out of the storm and stop praying that God will get into us what we need. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of any kind because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And this, as we close this, there are some of you that are in some, some significant trial. I don't, it doesn't matter if it's small or big, whatever it could be. I want to have a chance just to pray over you. And if you would have the boldness and courage to do so, you don't have to tell us what it is. I just want you to stand. I want to pray over you this morning. If you're in a trial and a storm, thank you. I want you, to, I want you to stand up. James says this, James 1.12, Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. For when you have stood the test of time, you'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised those who love him. 1 Peter 5.10 prays this prayer of restoration. It says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And Romans 15.5 says, God gives endurance. Let's pray to the God of endurance Jesus, I pray for those who are standing in the storm right now. Jesus, you are Lord of the storm. I pray that you would strengthen something in us in this moment. Lord, we've been asking to, for you to change it, for you to get us out of it, for you to just make it go away. But Lord, maybe you are building something beautiful in us for the calling you have ahead of us. I pray you would change our perspectives. And Father, for those standing today, I pray that you would reveal to us where you are in the storm. You're there. You see us. You hear us. Help us to find you. Give endurance to those who need it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Orchard, as we go into communion, and I want to remind you that communion, this is an open table. There's no class to go through to, to take this. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And if you want to come and get the element of his body and blood, the symbols of his sacrifice, I encourage you to come and sit back down you're holding the elements of his trial that because of the storm he weathered, you get to walk through with him. Thank him that he went through the trial and then ask him for that strength. And if you're here and you want extra prayer, we're gonna have prayer people up at the front. Orchard, let us respond however God would have us today. Micah's gonna sing a song that she wrote 
And I want you to know that this song is written from the eye of a storm that she's going through. It's a heart cry. So as we close, let's do business with God, Lord of the storm. Amen?